0: All right, welcome back, Thatcher Effect listeners. We've got a good one for you guys this week. Um, What is the big picture with
1: this Jazz team?
0: And Utah football is gearing up for senior day against a struggling Stanford team, but Utah running Utes basketball is back, baby. What do we think of their opening
1: performance against LIU? And for our weekly draft segment, we're talking about our starting five all time of former running Utes. It's gonna, it's gonna be a good one. We both, we both put some work into this. So yeah, this one this took a little bit more research. So I think it's gonna be good.
0: All (laughs) right, guys, that's all coming up right now on the Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to the Thatcher Effect with your hosts Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. All right, so
1: here are today's Thatcher Effect headlines. Richie, take us away. All right, the Utah Jazz are off to nine and 3 start, and they have the best record in the West. They've beaten quality opponents, and their schedule is going to lighten up. Um, they had a really hard beginning of the year, and they came out like nobody saw. Uh, this week, they're getting ready to take on an East Coast road trip. Um, they go on to face Trey Young and the Hawks, and then Bradley Beal and the Wizards, and then Joel Embiid and the Sixers, um, none of which will be like really easy games. Like all these teams are pretty competitive. Uh, Sixers kind of had a rough start. Hawks have really figured it out um, after a win against the Bucks, the undefeated Bucks last night without Trey Young. Um, and Wizards are all right. So it'll be an interesting road trip. Yeah, we're going to be looking forward to those
0: games out east. And then the Utah Utes beat the Arizona Wildcats last weekend in a very cold and rainy game up at Rice Eccles. That honestly might, might have been one of the worst weather conditions I've ever had to watch a <laughs> football game in. The ball would be fumbled seven times by U of A, but the Utah defense picked up four of them, which was pretty amazing. They, they did a great job up in the front four. Offense did things. They took care of business. They won 45-20, pretty good score. Now they look to play Stanford in their final home game, senior day. And now with you know, people leaving early, we'll be able to also honor those who are maybe looking to look at the NFL before they turn into seniors. So we'll be able to see who's maybe thinking about going into that route. We might have a good idea of who might be leaving us a little bit early. But that game will be at 8 p.m. local time on ESPN if you want to catch that. And then other news in that involves the Pac-12 is Dan Patrick went on a show And just decided to drop this bomb that apparently San Diego State was going to be joining the Pac-12 within a week. Um, And everyone was like, for about an hour, two hours, everyone's like, whoa, what the heck's happening? What's going on? How's this all going to work out? But apparently it was um, not accurate that the Pac-12 would be working on its media rights deal before it went and looked for expansion. But I think the media rights deal will obviously be coming probably before the end of the year. I think San Diego State will eventually join the conference and they'll probably be the only ones, but I don't think that happens um, before the media rights deal is done. But some news to take a look at.
1: Um, also, in news around the, the world, around the league, um, reported by Bill Simmons, there might be a possible Anthony Davis trade. Uh, this came on the eve after the Jazz beat the Lakers. Um, and it was their first game against the Lakers this last week and lakers had lost that game then the next day they lost the Cavs. they're 2-8 and right now it's just a horrendous start granted it's been a really hard schedule um there's been good things about them but they just have a terrible roster and so with a front office as incompetent as the lakers they're going to probably be shopping around they might make a horrible trade um and they might be shopping Anthony Davis. Um, currently, Anthony Davis is having a really good season, averaging 23 and 11. He's playing good basketball, playing really good defense. Um, but there's just like something not happening. There's something not clicking with this Lakers squad. They just have absolutely no depth. They're spending like like $160 million on three players. And the Lakers, they have the ability to spend because it is the Lakers but this just isn't working out. They got their championship. It might be time to flip, turn the page. Um, and so Bill Simmons was reporting this and he reported a couple of possible trade destinations. He mentioned some teams in the West, including the Dallas Mavericks who might have some interest. Um, Dallas has a couple picks, not a lot, but they owe a pick to New York this year. And then they have some picks for the future that they could use. And they have the salary to be able to throw in um, another Team that just somehow is always around trade rumors is the New York Knicks, who could put up a good offer. Um, probably similar to a Donovan Mitchell package that jazz fans were looking at with like four to five picks and maybe some of the their young guys like Cam Reddish, Quentin Grimes, OB Toppin, some combination of those guys. They got salary with Evan Fournier, Julius Randle. I'm not sure LeBron would love to play with Julius Randle but it could just be um, something that happens kind of mid season as the Lakers are trying to maybe not save this year, but save their future.
0: I think that would be a dangerous Dallas team. If that trade ended up happening, Uh, Luca is already torching teams by himself. So you had Anthony Davis, who's putting up some pretty good stats this year. That could, that could be big time, but of course, right now it's time to get jazzy time to talk about the jazz. So, This Utah Jazz segment is brought to you by DraftKings. Jazz fans, the NBA action is just getting started. So are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, which is an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So new customers can make any $5 NBA pregame Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. So check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, total points, scored, and more. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where you should go to bet on the NBA. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, make any $5 bet this week, and you can get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. So, time to talk some jazz. Richie, give me your first jazz note for this week.
1: All right, I want to talk about this team's culture, because honestly, I think it's incredible and it's been so fun to watch. Um, so this team, every game, we're kind of figuring out their identity better and better. And I think we've kind of figured out two things about this team is they're going to play hard and they're going to play together. And that's why they've gone off to such a quick jump. And that's why they're beating teams is because they're playing hard and they're playing together. Currently, everybody in the starting lineup is averaging career high in assists. I want to I read a stat that I thought was really interesting. Um, last week, we played the Lakers twice. The Lakers are a good defensive team. They have no shooting on that team, but they're they're a solid defensive team. Um, I want to read their defensive ratings per game up to this point. So this is 10 games. First game, 112. Second game, 99. 105, 107, 103.7, 110, 102.7. One 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 point nine. So those are eight of their games. The two games versus Utah, they had defensive ratings of 136 and 144, which just absolutely blows the water of the rest of those games. They looked like a horrible defensive team, and the stats backed it up against the Utah Jazz. So I think that doesn't that speaks more to the Utah Jazz's offense than to the Lakers defense. But this Jazz offense is really good. Um, one of the things that makes it so good is the three-point shooting. Currently, the three-point shooting has been insane. Olenek shooting fifty-nine percent from three. Vanderbilt shooting fifty-five percent. Granted, he's shooting on very, very limited attempts and only from one spot of the floor. Um, Conley shooting forty-three percent. Clarkson shooting forty-two percent. Beasley thirty-nine. Sexton thirty-eight. And it just goes on and on. And everybody's able to make threes. Everybody that plays in the game is able to make threes. And I think that's such a an invaluable tool to have as a team and especially as a good offense in today's NBA. Um, I feel like this team is just, has been really good. Um, Another thing that kind of speaks to the identity of this team and how there's just a really good culture is what they did in three games on four nights. So they played the Lakers and Clippers on a back. They played the Lakers and then they had a rest day and then played the Clippers and Lakers on a back-to-back, going from L.A. to Salt Lake for that back-to-back. And they won all three games. Um, I think that speaks a lot to what this team is. You could kind of tell in that game against the Lakers, that second game that Markinen was tired. Um, I thought Conley and Clarkson didn't look tired at all, but Olinick looked a little bit tired. We didn't have Vanderbilt for those two games, and he's a big part of the rotation but I think it really speaks to the depth of this team that they were able to come out of those games on top. Um, it's just, it's fun to watch. We have one of the best home teams in the NBA. We're five and at home. Um, I feel like our guys are getting control of the crowd, like Clarkson, Conley, Sexton, Mark, and the occasional THT poster over the entire Lakers defense. All of that has just lined up. So the crowd is just so into these games. And honestly, what's, struck out most to me is that this team is a really good closing team um against the Clippers the Clippers were fighting back John Wall had a really good third quarter and started the fourth quarter hot Clippers took the lead but the Jazz team didn't stop fighting which is just something that was so unusual for us as Jazz fans to see after last year where the Jazz would just give up after every blown lead um and this Jazz team just has a lot of fight they're they're going to keep fighting, and they've been really good at closing games this year. The,
0: the closing games
1: has especially stuck
0: out to me. I think, like you were saying before, is with the Jazz team we were looking at last year, they had the ability as a team to build up such a great lead, and you saw that constantly where we were building up over 20-point leads late in the second half. But as soon as we lost momentum, it seemed like our offensive scheme, everything we had that had worked for us before, we kind of got rid of. And it turned into ISO ball. And that was something that Will Hardy preached in his postgame presser after uh, the win yesterday against the Lakers was that they're so good at closing minutes because you don't really know who's gonna get the ball because they move it so much. So it doesn't, it it puts the defense in a position where you really have to look out for everyone because not one guy's really gonna step out. And I like what you said in terms of um, crowd control at Vivint. Um, I mean, I've only been to one game, but even just seeing one game in person, I can see that obviously Jazz fans are going to be passionate. I feel like no matter what year it is, but they really know how to keep the tempo going. Which Coach Hardy mentioned yesterday is that they're really good on the road because when crowd when these teams are making a push, basically he said they have to focus on just themselves as a unit. You literally just have to focus on your scheme and your plan and your preparation. But when you're at home, you add another element where you have a six man technically on the floor. You can add your game and plan it out to, hey, what can get this crowd going? Because that can lead to timeouts taken by the other team and momentum going forward on offense and on defense. I just think this Jazz team has done an excellent job of controlling their games, and especially with the schedule that they've been given. Um, They've already played, um, what is it, 12 games now um and leading atop the western conference which i don't think anyone saw coming but they've been able to i feel like their schemes have just worked in almost every game and what surprises me is with these runs that these opposing teams have made to fight the jazz just find a way to fight back in these closing minutes um that kind of relates to my note though and I think my question goes along with a lot of questions around the league is how sustainable is this? And I think a lot of fans usually talk about this at the beginning of any sports season. You see a team make a run and you're like, well, you know, let's see what happens come, you know, May or June. Like, what what are they actually going to look like? Um, I think there's a particular stretch that I'm going to be looking forward to to see maybe what this Jazz team is really made of. Because again, they've played almost every team they've beaten is a playoff team. I think Lakers. Besides the Lakers, like I see every team as a real, not only a playoff team, but a high seed playoff team. Like I honestly thought the Clippers were going to be a one or two seed going into the West. You know, obviously they weren't with Kawhi when we played them. But um, there is a particular stretch that I'm going to be looking forward to in this in this Jazz schedule, and that comes up at the end of this month. Um, the Jazz are going to go on the road for a back to back against the Warriors and then the Suns. And that's a stretch that going in, I looked at this November schedule and I'm like, okay, the Jazz are lucky. They come out 500, like very lucky. Um, that back-to-back I think is something that's going to stick out to me. How are they going to show up? Because I think the Jazz are going to fight, but I'd like to see them finish and see them get a win. The Warriors maybe have been underperforming a little bit, um, starting off the season a little cold. The Suns are doing pretty pretty well for the most part. And so I'm I'm very excited to see how how those two games are going to match up But, like, you just look at how their schedule's crafted overall. Like, this Jazz team is in for a fight. Like, they're in for a battle, I think, almost every week. And so I don't think you're going to see weeks where it may seem a little bit easier. I think every night's got to be a battle for these guys. But the good thing is, is we've seen, even with sometimes a limited roster rotation, they can still get a win. Like, you look at Vanderbilt being out these last few games, and the Jazz have still been able to pull it off. I thought Vanderbilt would be a crucial part to this team which he is but even without some other guys have been able to step up and make some key plays you talked about some guys being able to do certain things that hype up the crowd i just think everyone has attributes in their game on this jazz team that complement others uh you talk about tht that guy seems to have like a poster every game i don't know like he's just a heat seeking missile sometimes sexton has done great when the ball movement sometimes seems to be lacking he has an ability to drive to the basket and Either he gets a foul or he makes a crazy shot off the backboard. And then you have consistent shooters like Conley and Clarkson and Markkanen. And those guys can really level out the, um, the shooting when things maybe get rough. You can count on them to make a shot as well. So I'm really excited to see how sustainable this level of play is. So that's going to be my first note looking forward into this month for the Jazz.
1: I'm... Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% on the same page with of you. With you. Um, I do think the sustainability is kind of a question that's, that's really good to ask because it's a really long season. We're 12 games into an 82-game season. You have 70 more games to play. Anything can happen. Um, and sometimes as an NBA team, you kind of have to look at it from a big picture. So as people have talked about the Jazz, they've kind of – thought of it as an anomaly, right? It's like this team that had such low expectations at the beginning of the year is outperforming those expectations. The truth is that this has happened a couple other times in NBA history. Um, I heard of a couple of, of teams that were like this, and so I kind of did some deep dives into them. The first is the 2013-14 Phoenix Suns. So they finished the season 48 and 34. They were a nine seed because the West was absolutely stacked. That year, Um, their preseason odds, the over under was 20 and a half. So they were expected to win about 21 games Um, and they blew that out of the water. They had unreal chemistry. They had a roster of Eric Bledsoe, Goran Dragic, who was all second team, all NBA that year, the Morris twins, Channing Frye, Gerald Green, um, PJ Tucker, when he was younger in his career. Um, And so they had like a, a solid squad, but really they just had good chemistry um then they kind of ran it back the next year hoping to you know add some younger guys they drafted Reggie Bullock they drafted Seth Curry TJ Warren uh, none of those guys really panned out too too much and um they just got worse the next year and then um by the next year, the year after that they were in full on tank mode and drafted Devin Booker um the 2021 Knicks are another team like this they had a 41-31 record um they finished as the 4 seed their preseason odds were 21 and a half, really similar to that Phoenix Suns team. Um, they also had a great lineup with great chemistry. Um, Julius Randle, who is was their all NBA guy. Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, Mitchell Robinson, Derek Rose, Taj Gibson, Reggie Bullock, RJ Barrett. It's like not a bad squad, um, but they lost in the first round of the playoffs in five games to icy Trey young. Um, and then the next year they went 37 and 45 middle of the pack had the number 11 and 13 picks and didn't use either of them. They traded both of them. So these are two situations that are being compared to the jazz. It's like, okay, so let's say that the jazz continue on this pace. Um, if the jazz win just 50% of their games from here on out, they're on pace to win to go 44 and 34, which is a great record. That's fantastic. Um, But there's, I don't know, there's kind of some, some other questions uh, around this jazz team. However, I do think that this jazz team is different from this Knicks team and the sun's team. And there are a couple of reasons. I think the management of this jazz team has shown that they're already ahead of the Knicks and the sun's the Knicks have the worst management in sports history. I like, I don't know how they miss on so many draft picks. How they always have some opportunity to get a star and they always blow it. The Donovan Mitchell stuff this summer was just the latest case of the Knicks being completely incompetent. I have no faith in their front office to do anything, um, and I think that's why things turned around pretty quickly for them. Was their front office and their they just didn't improve at all. Um, the Suns own the Suns also are kind of in the same boat. Robert Sarver. Racist. I think they've had some good moves over the last couple of years. I think the Chris Paul move was excellent and propelled them into the future. They've hit on some draft picks. Obviously, picking eight and over Luka Doncic will always be um, one of the big NBA what-ifs because Luka and Booker would have played really good together. But they've also shown that they're not really willing to spend, and that's probably what hurt them when they went um, into that next season after they went 48-34. I think the Jazz have shown that they're not like either of those teams. Um, they're competent. They've acquired a mass of picks. We have three first-rounders in 2023, three in 2025, a first-rounder in swap in 2026, three in 2027. We own our own in 2028, and then we have three in 2029. So that's 14 in the next six years. The Jazz, we have really good management, and I think that's what separates us from this team let's say things do go bad next year. We have the assets. We have the ability to go one way or the other. We can go all in on a superstar who might be unhappy in their current market, or we can um, look to take a step back and get some good draft capital and try and rebuild that way. I think the Jazz have put themselves in such a good position because even if this year is a little bit fluky and it doesn't look too good, we have flexibility in the long-term and I think that's what really matters. Um, If you are looking at it in the long-term, you don't want to be stuck in one position. Like I think this, those two teams that I mentioned were stuck. Um, So I I don't know. I just want to say, I have faith in this jazz ownership. I think they're doing great. I also want to give a shout out to Ryan Smith who um, with the help of his wife made a $20 million donation to primary children's hospital. Um, I think that's just the, that's a cherry on top of a great ownership. I think the
0: jazz have had great ownership, um, you know, from the Miller family and out of the Smith family. They just seem to, to do it right. That was, that was awesome to see that huge donation. Um, I think in terms of long-term plans, that's a question that I'd love to ask when I get to the pearly gates is what were the jazz planning on doing when they went into the season? Cause everyone's like, well, obviously they're tanking. But now it's like, well, clearly they're rebuilding and retooling. Um, But with the amount of assets that they have, I think that just speaks to uh, the level of um, ownership that we have. And I think, especially with our front-off, the way that they're dealing with things, I think these are looking really good for the Jazz, no matter which way the dice rolls. Uh, Just with the, the number of picks that they have, what they can do, what they can trade with, the Jazz are in a pretty good spot. So I'd like to see where they go in the future. You know, maybe this does turn into a a little bit of a run going forward with the picks that we can get again. Some of the, like, especially with next year, we get the worst of the nets, the Sixers. And what's the third team that we get the worst out of the rockets, the rockets. And then we get the, we get the T wolves pick and then our own, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So that's like three picks and with the amount of picks that they have from these two deals that they got over the summer, one has to bite. And I think one has to be good. And if you look at Danny angel's success over in Boston, his success rate that he did have with draft picks looks pretty promising for the jazz. So it'll be exciting to see that this does look sustainable. So I don't know, maybe this does turn into a run, but I, I agree with you. I don't think this turns into a, a sun scenario um, or a Knicks scenario, and I also agree with you that the Knicks front office and management that has to be worst in the world. Like no matter what sport like you play, like soccer, football, basketball, like it, nothing gets worse than that. Like maybe the Cowboys rivals it, but nothing gets worse.
1: I have to say the current iteration of the Lakers is is putting themselves in that conversation. Jeannie Buss and Rob polinka Why on earth did they extend Rob polinka But yeah, other than that, I don't I don't know who's above the Knicks. I don't know why they extended Rob because I'm pretty sure every non-Lakers
0: fan was like, "Oh, he's obviously going to be gone after this. Like, this hasn't planned out. None of this has turned like they wanted to." And then now he's staying there even further, which which blows my mind. Like, is it is it just because he's Kobe's guy? Because he was Kobe's agent? <laughs> you know, maybe it is. Maybe it's a <laughs> maybe it's an agreement that they had to make. Maybe on the plaque on his desk it says Kobe's guy. Because maybe that's what keeps <laughs> him. Anyways, we'll, we'll move on to topics. Well, let's go to the Utes, because I think the Utes also have some interesting stuff to talk about this week. Um, Arizona game seemed pretty comfortable for the most part. I don't think really there was any doubt that the Utes were going to drop that one. I think this game coming up on Saturday seems pretty similar to me. I don't really have any doubts that you know Utah can pull a win out. Don't know how they're going to do it, but I'm pretty confident that they can. The, the key for me, though, is we just got news from Kyle Whittingham on Monday, that Van Fillinger is out for the season, which is a a, def- a key part of your defense. He was the leader in sacks, tackles for loss. And not Stanford, but going into Oregon, you're going against um, what has been rated as a top 10 offensive line in the country. And could be the best offensive line in the conference. Because at least before, I don't know if this changed in the Colorado game. I don't think it did. Uh, but before the Colorado game, Bo Nix had not been sacked once, so I'm going to guess that even with the Colorado game, that did not change. But that's even going up against the Georgia defense in Game One, which is pretty impressive. Um, so with losing Van Fillinger, that front four really has to be something you have to look at going into Otzen. How are they going to perform against Stanford, and how is this defense going to look as a warm-up game potentially for? the Oregon game that will set up the Pac-12 championship like november 19th will be the weekend we know which two teams are going to vegas and what sucks is the utes are in uh the opposite position really that they were in last year where if oregon wins this weekend and then beats utah they're a lock before the last week and that's kind of what utah's situation was they had oregon second to last week and because they won that game they were a lock A lot of people have been saying this could be a potential revenge game for the Ducks moving forward, but a lot of those guys weren't really on last year's team, including their quarterback and basically their entire staff. So I don't really give much into that, but I think the Stanford game has to play a a warm up type role. And I think that goes for a lot of players um, going into the Oregon game. Another one that I think is key has got to be Tavion Thomas. I think Tavion, seeing him back in the Arizona game was great. And I think you could see the crowd was just obviously hyped that he was back in, in uniform, playing. He was in on special teams unit, had an amazing tackle on a a kick return. And he just has this emotion where he really wants to play. And I think from what I've heard from players on the team is that he's now starting to kind of get back in, locked in. So what can he do, especially now with this running back room, absolutely depleted. Because if Tavion isn't back, I don't think this running back room can help this Utah team beat Oregon in two weeks. I think they'll be fine no matter what against Stanford, but Tavion has to now be a leader because we saw JaQuinden get injured and go down. Apparently, Jalen was hobbling. So you either go to uh, your sixth string running back out of East High School or you can rely on Tavion and see if he comes back. He put up some solid stats, had around 13 carries, um, averaged you know, a decent amount of yardage, but Jaquindan seemed to just be getting into his role as a running back. He was almost put up 100 yards in that game, had a massive amount of carries, some good cuts, and it seemed like he was comfortable in finding where to go as a running back. It seemed like he was really getting into that role. But now that he's potentially gone for these next two games, I mean, you really got to step it up because this offense has now been depleted. Rising, obviously still not 100% um, with his leg. Keithy's gone. Kincaid now injured. I'm just just wondering what this Stanford game is going to look like because, again, I see it as a practice for Oregon. You have to set it up. What's this team going to look like? Do they overlook Stanford? I don't think so. But I'm interested to see how they're going to look against the
1: Cardinal this weekend. So those are my notes for the Utes. What do you got, Richie? I think you brought up some really great points about um, the. you just need to be effective in their run game. And, you know, I, I was on the sideline. I could see and Jackson holding his arm. I could see Jalen Glover limping, neither of which are good signs. I just, I think um, Tavion is going to have to be ready for the moment. He was really ready on, on Saturday. You could see that. You could see he was he was ready to do whatever he was asked to do. He was running so hard on the kickoffs, looking for blood. It was, it was kind of nice to see. Um, plays with a lot of passion. Um, speaking of the run game, I thought the Utes had a couple of amazing run plays um, featuring none other than true freshman quarterback Nate Johnson. I want to read Nate Johnson's prof, um, recruiting profile because I think it really fits what he did in that Utah game. Um, it says, speed, speed, and more speed with an arm to boot. Johnson is one of the fastest football players in the state, not just quarterbacks, players, period. Running a 10.56, 100 meter this spring. But lest you think he's just a running quarterback, he's more of a quarterback that can run. Um, so I think those are really good words that, you know, describe exactly what Nate Johnson can do. Um, Kyle Whittingham after the game said they had planned to use the package with Nate Johnson running into the end zone in an earlier game. I'm kind of wondering what game that might've been if that was Washington state, if that was USC, I kind of think it was USC or else he might have not have hinted at it so much. Um, I think there probably was a situation where you could have done it against USC. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought he looked brilliant. Um, he's going to be fun to watch next year or the next or whenever his time comes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I just I thought Nate Johnson was fun. Um, he only has three games of eligibility left this season, and Utah will play at least four more games. So it'll be interesting to see if we see to see if we see him get some run against Stanford, or if we keep him out and maybe save him for later in the season.
0: Yeah, Nate Johnson. Um... Was a recruit that really intrigued me when we first brought him in because he was an elite 11 guy, but not only was his throwing good, but it was his speed. Like you said, he runs a 10, 5, 6, meter. Like he was breaking California track records. And I remember watching those videos of him in high school and I was like, like dang, this guy's good. And you saw that in the packages that they ran against Arizona. Literally in the shotgun from the get-go, like, you know what's going to happen, and he is just able to beat these guys with his feet, like, to the edge, running 50 yards lateral, and he's just able to get to the end zone, which I thought was a testament to how fast this kid really is. Going forward, I think that also made some questions for what this quarterback battle is going to look like up on the U. Bryson Barnes has shown he can be a good guy, and I don't think he can really evaluate his two performances very well because he was put in difficult circumstances in both of his um, games that he's played, right? You're thrown into the Rose Bowl when the last time you played a snap of live football was against Beaver High School, and now you're going against Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Next time, it's because the guy in front of you says he can't go 30 minutes before game time, and now you got to go without any of the reps um, before the week. So I really have yet to see what Bryson Barnes can really do as a quarterback, but Nate Johnson can prove that I think he's got the ceiling to be the next great Utah quarterback. And Kai Whittingham has said that himself as well. I don't know if they want to plan to use him like they used Tyler Huntley when he was a underclassman. Uh, I think the 2017 year was a quarterback decision that really stood out to a lot of fans. We still had Troy Williams as a senior. 2016 was a pretty good year for Utah fans. We, Again, we're basically one game away from going to the Pac-12 championship. You have a great quarterback coming back. We had a solid year on offense. But they made the decision to start Tyler Huntley over Troy Williams because they saw the potential in Huntley to be that next great quarterback, which he was. And I think that year where they went 7-6 and was a year that set him up to become the quarterback of that team that went 11-1 and and could have been a playoff team. So I think Johnson could have that similar type role. And I'm interested to see if the coaches make that similar decision to maybe start him a little bit early, maybe have a rough year to get him some live reps, but he can turn out to be really great. And I think another good example of this is DTR at UCLA. Um, Every year, it seemed like DTR was in the conversation of like one of the great quarterbacks in the country. And I was like, well, like he's never been good. I've never like you see flashes and stuff, but he's never been great. And this year he's been phenomenal. And I think that's a testament to you start him early, you get him reps, and eventually you'll get something out of him. So I I, I agree with you. I think Nate Johnson is such an intriguing uh, piece of this Utah team. So I'm excited to see what they do with him in the future.
1: Yeah, he's he's been great. Um, I really do think the quarterback conversation is going to, be, going to become more prevalent. Cam um, Rising did say in a press conference earlier this week that. He will be participating in senior day activities. It sounds like there's been kind of some uh, questions about whether or not he'd be participating, but now he's for sure participating. That doesn't mean that necessarily he's going to leave the program. Um, But as of right now, I was kind of looking at some draft stuff. He's currently projected as a seventh round pick, um, and he's the number 19 prospect at the quarterback position. And he might be thinking, hey, my stock probably isn't going to go up. Dalton Kincaid uh, also is kind of in that conversation. He said that he will be pro- he will be playing his last game at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Um, he is currently projected as a fourth-round pick, and he's the number six tight end in the 2023 draft. I think he's probably making the right decision. Um, he's got – I mean, after his game against USC, it's like national stage. He just did everything right that game, I think he's making the right decision by going to the NFL. Um, But it does, those two going, um, or possibly going, does raise the question about Clark Phillips, who is also eligible to join the 2023 NFL draft. Um, He's currently projected as a late first-round pick, and he's the number four corner. Um, But some stats have indicated that he's been the number one corner um, in the nation this year. And so I think he has some, I mean, the kid has so much talent. He's been phenomenal all year. Um, I think he is probably definitely, probably definitely debating his decision. Um, but yeah, it will be interesting to see which which of those guys participate in senior day. I'm sure there will be others too. Um, but this has been a really fun era of Utah football. These guys have all been great. I was looking at some of Rising's career stats. He's been phenomenal, 36. Um, passing touchdowns, 12 rushing touchdowns, 4,000 yards. He's just, he's been great. It's been awesome to watch him. Yeah, I think who
0: walks will be a very intriguing topic come Saturday. And I think Clark Phillips is probably as good as gone. I think he's been an NFL cornerback destined to be an early leave for Utah. He's kind of like that Jalen Johnson type. Um, and I think he's going to have great success. I I believe he will be an NFL guy next year. Um, in terms of Keithy, though, I think that one's very interesting. Uh, obviously, he got the red shirt because he got injured um, before that four-game expiration date this year. Um, talking with Bill Riley earlier this week, he said that he was obviously still debating it. He is going to walk on Saturday, but he still hasn't made his decision. And so I think there are a lot of questions he brought NIL into it thinking well you know if my draft prospect you know if I don't look as good as I wanted to like I'm in a really good situation now with NIL that I can still play football get more you know highlights and stuff on my resume and then I can go to the NFL and be better prepared on on all fronts like that's a legitimate reason but also he still hasn't been able to see what the NFL scouts really think of him now again he clearly already has like a ton of information from those scouts um, He has a lot of footage. He's been here for four years, but that would be very interesting if both rising and Keithy returned, because I think your offense is once again, set up for success in a way that maybe they were, they were supposed to be really good this year, but because of injuries, like they were held back. And I think next year with the defense now having more upperclassmen instead of underclassmen that Utah team next year could also, be very good. They've got a, a good schedule prep for them in 2023. I'd be interested to see who returns. But rising and Keithy have to be the two main concerns, I think, coming back for Utah because that's obviously going to be a huge testament to what their offense is going to look like if you have lost your now number one receiver or your like number one, number two receiver, and obviously your starting quarterback. So we'll see what happens there.
1: Yeah, I think I think you make some really good points about I, I hadn't even thought about Keithy. Um, I like that. I was looking at his draft stock right now. It's it's not super high. I think a healthy season probably would have helped him a bit more. But yeah, I mean, he was he he was off to such a good start this season. Like on a human level, I kind of feel bad for him because I think his stock was going up and up. Um, But that should we talk some youth basketball? Is it that time? I think it's that time, Richie. Take us away. Let's talk some running youths. All right. I'm, I'm excited about this team. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to watch much of the game against um, LAU last night. But there were a couple of things that did stand out to me, just looking at it from a statistical standpoint, as well as watching um, what I saw against in the exhibition game against Westminster. Um, this new Utes running, running Utes squad, they have athleticism that just wasn't on the team last year. I thought there were some athletes on the team last year, but honestly, you'd kind of get into your second unit and you'd kind of be like, man, we just can't hang out. We can't hang with these giant seven foot Oregon guys or these Christian Colocos of Arizona. Like we just couldn't hang. But I feel like that might be kind of a different story this year. I still don't think we're like the most athletic team in the conference, but we do have improved athleticism. Um, so last night the Utes had eight blocks, seventeen offensive rebounds. I think those are two stats that show kind of where the athleticism is on this team. Um, one of the guys that's there's three guys that have really impressed me um, in terms of in terms of athleticism. Coincidentally, all of them are coming off the bench and they're all new players. Um, the first is Wilkins, exact junior. He had twelve point six rebounds. I was impressed with his three point shooting. Uh, his three looks great. I think. That's going to be a weapon for the youths down the line. He also plays like a grown man. He plays really smart, and he just—he's really developed. Like he—he he kind of has like that linebacker build. He's just—he's huge. Um, but that—that's going to translate a lot into his rebounding, his ability to defend. I think he'll have probably a little bit of a learning curve heading into Division One college basketball. But I also think he has a lot of upside for this youth, running Utes team. And I'm really excited to see where he'll end up and what kind of player he can turn into. Another guy is uh, Kiba Kita. I always think I pronounce it wrong, but he's got six points. He had six points, three rebounds, and one nasty block last night. Um, he's really athletic shot blocker. I think he still has still is a little rough around the edges, probably on the more developmental side. But I think he'll get some run this year. Um, I think there's definitely situations where the Utes will need him. Um, and I'll be interested to see what kind of lineups we play because we could play some really big lineups, some really good shot-blocking lineups this year. Um, but I think he's probably going to get more comfortable with time, but right now I'm, I'm intrigued with him as a prospect. He's a monster athlete, an instant rim threat, instant um, interior presence, and I'm excited about that. Uh, The last guy I wanted to highlight is Mike Saunders Jr. He had 11 points, two assists. He's been my favorite player to watch so far. He pushes the pace so much. He rolls up his shorts. He looks like John Stockton, and he's just pushing the pace in transition. Last night, Carlson had a steal, passes it to Saunders, and Saunders just waits to the exact moment until Carlson's open and then feeds him. And I think he did that against Westminster multiple times where he just was able to get the ball in transition and then feed his guys right in the right moment or get to the basket right in the right right moment. And so I think I think he's going to be a really big part of this team. I was a little bit surprised that he wasn't the starting point guard because he does have a good college basketball resume. Um, but I think Craig Smith is going to roll with Wooster. I, Wooster's just been his guy. and Wooster's been great. Um, but, yeah, I think this team has just a lot of versatility, and I, I'm really excited about their athleticism this year.
0: Yeah. That's got to be the main difference between this year and last year, because I, I just think you saw certain games where they fell behind and it was purely because of athleticism. And I think the Oregon game at home last year really stood out to me. You have the Oregon team that wasn't really their best squad, but Utah was able to stay with them because of their shooting and their scheme but the, the rebounding and the blocks, like that's what kills you and being able to control the paint. And while Carlson was a big guy, he had a hard time last year with injuries. And so you weren't really able to see so much of a dominant force down low for the Utes. And I think that changes this year with some more reps and some more games. I think those three guys that you mentioned can be critical parts of this running Utes basketball team. Um, I think like the big key for for Utah this year has to be coming from their center in Brandon Carlson. Um, Brandon was, has always been kind of the focal point of this Utah team during these struggling years, which is is sad to see because again, I think if he added a full Huntsman center, like he's so fun to watch, especially seeing the evolution of his game. You look at his stats starting from his first year at Utah to now, and you can just see how much his game has progressed and how much he's worked in the gym. Like he, he opened up, he's only averaging nine points a game. Up to last year, he's he's averaging almost 18. He opens up with a double-double, 21 points, 10 rebounds, um, and now he's been able to shoot from deep. We saw that a little bit last year. Having a center like that, watching their game against LIU, it reminded me a little bit of Laurie Markinett from a Jazz perspective. He has the size where he's tall, he's lengthy, but he can post up and he can also shoot if you leave him open. I think Carlson really has to be the key for this Utes team to be able to make it anywhere far if they want to make it to an an NIT or, you know, potentially a dream scenario in the NCAA tournament. um, I I think Carlson has to stay healthy and he has to be the key point of both the, both the offense and the defense. I think the other guys can have moments where they can step up and have games for themselves. Like last year, we saw Stevanovich step up and play good against UCLA. We saw Gabe Madsen step up against USC and have a good game, but Carlson has to be the consistent factor. And I think the rest of the guys can really play good key uh, roles in comparison to Brandon. I loved what I saw from Madsen yesterday. He seemed to make some good decisions with his, his shooting, um, the shot selection. Um, I, I did like what I saw some from, from, from Wooster at times, but I have to agree with you. I think Mike Saunders can potentially be the starting point guard going down the road. Uh, he just seemed to have a control of the offense when he was leading the unit when he was on the floor. So I'll be interested to see what kind of lineups that the Utes have going down the line because, again, we, had some, we have some injuries right now. So we'll have to see what they look like. But um, I, I just think Carlson really has to be the key factor for this Utes team. Um, but do you have any ideas of like what these lineups can look like going down the, the line? What do, what do you think about um, what, this, what the rotation will look like for the Utes going down this season?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question because that's kind of what I've been wondering since before the season even started. Is who are we going to start? Who's going to be um, coming off the bench? Who's even going to be playing? Because we have some, we have a lot of new faces. Like we haven't seen Luca Tarlak yet. Um, Marco Anthony hasn't played yet, but we know he's going to be a starter. Um, so I've kind of been trying to like figure out, like, okay, everything we know from last season and this season, what are the rotations going to look like? Last year we were playing mostly a ten man rotation. Um, we were starting Wooster, Stefanovic, Madsen. Kind of in the middle of the season, took a starting position once he got healthy. Um, Marco Anthony Carlson, and then you'd have Lahat come off the bench with Booth, Gotch, with Jackson, Brenchley, with a couple other guys that I'm. Bradley Batten. Uh, I'm blanking on. I'm blanking on a couple others. Uh. Deshaun more, Chich, yeah, okay, so that's like our ten. That was our ten man rotation, right? Um, this year, I think it's going to look a little bit different, and I think that's going to be to the benefit of the team. So, so far, it's probably looking like Wooster might be the starter. I'm gonna keep an eye on that situation because I I do think that might change. Um, but it's been Wooster Stefanovic. I think you can definitely pencil those two in as starters, and then Marco Anthony and Carlson as well. I'm curious who's going to be the third guy because I think you could go a couple of different options. I think you could go more big and have the Carlson Towers, um, or you could go smaller and play Madsen. Um, but they've kind of, we kind of haven't been able to see exactly what they're going to do because we've had Ben Carlson starting in place of Marco Anthony. So I am curious to see which route we will take. Um, ben Carlson can shoot threes, so we'd have five. We'd have four guys that can shoot threes. I don't trust Marco Anthony's shot. Um, But I do think that's something worth keeping an eye on is what happens when Marco Anthony is back in the lineup and what lineups they run. Um, Off the bench, I think you can run a really exciting lineup with um, Saunders leading the unit. I think Wilkins Exact has already played himself into um, that first group right off the bench as well as Boston Holt. I would expect those three to instantly become off the bench. Um, then I think you kind of get into an interesting conversation whether or not um, Madsen or Ben Carlson is starting because either depending on the situation, you might not be going with Boston Holt or you might be kind of playing around with a big lineup with Baxter or Kiba and Carlson. Um, I think there's a lot of ways that this run and team can go. I do think you can pencil in Exact hole in Saunders as three guys that'll come right off the bench because they've all shown that they're great. Um, Baxter's getting back to healthy, but he's looked good in his minutes so far. I thought he had a really good dunk against LIU last night, um, and he looks—he's an athlete and he has really good hands too. I've noticed um, when he's been pressuring guards around the perimeter, that he's always getting his hands in there. So I'm—I'm I'm impressed with Baxter. I think um, he can be really good in his little five minutes um stints but i also probably think Brentley's going to be getting some minutes as a spark plug like he did last year he had a lot of games last year where he would just come in and like take it to the hoop get a really impressive bucket and then be done and like i think that's a great role for him he's figured it out i think um he's definitely somebody that fits in with this team um and so i'm just excited to see where this lineup will go I'm also sure it's going to change throughout the year. So it's going to be fun to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah. I think this Utes team can definitely make improvements this season. I think everyone's obviously looking to maybe aim for the middle of the pack uh, at the end of the year. I think they have the roster to do it. It's just like you were talking about. I think it's just a matter of really finding out what works on the floor at what time, but I think they have a deep enough team where they can be able to win some games that they obviously dropped last season. So let's see how that goes. But We got to end this episode with a banger like we did last week. We know a lot of you guys like the draft segment, which was awesome. So we're going to keep it rolling this week. Richie, what's our draft segment this week?
1: Dude, we're doing old all-time running Utes players. So this is ex-running Utes, guys that have made the NBA, just our all-time five, all-time starting five, and we're going to see who's better.
0: I like it. All right, so since I let you go last week, um, I let you go first last week. I'll, I'll start us off. I, I gotta go, um, with my small Ford first, I'm going to take Keith Van Horn. Ooh. Um, I, I think he's just a generational talent. And what's funny is, is I growing up as a Utah fan in Arizona, I, I, it was funny because a lot of the adults would go like, Hey, do you remember Keith Van Horn? And I'm like, well, obviously he was before my time, but yes, I've obviously heard of him a ton. Keith Van Horn was like a generational guy for Utah basketball. He's He seems to me like him and and Andre Miller are kind of the face of the, the Majerus era, like the rich years in the late nineties. Keith Van Horn just seemed like unstoppable in college. And he was one of those guys where I think during that era, like Keith Van Horn was the face of NCAA basketball. So I'm going to take KVN at the small forward first.
1: Okay. I love it. Um, I'm going to take, the number one overall pick in the 2004 NBA draft, Andrew Bogut. Give me that.
0: <laughs> That's a good center. That was that was going to be my center, obviously, but only one of us can have the the number one overall pick. So I'll, I'll let you have that one. All right. Um, coming in at point guard, this one was hard for me. Um, I debated between two guys. All right. Obviously, you have Andre Miller. He has a retired jersey number, solid NBA career, and, um, now he's be, he's a coach with I believe the G League team for the Denver Nuggets. Um, he's he's just a he's got a great basketball IQ. I love the guy, but I got to go back to my roots as a Utah Utes basketball player growing up. And I'm going to go with the Bob Kowsi Award winner from 2015 in Delon Wright. I I mean he was he was deemed the best point guard in the country that year, and he just I loved watching him play. He's the guy who really changed the Krszowiak era. To become an NCAA tournament team back in 2014, so I'm going to take
1: Delon Wright for my point guard. Yeah, hey, I, I love that selection. Delon Wright is top two point guard of all time for the running Utes, in my opinion. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm going to go with Andre Miller for my next selection. I just think, man, Andre Miller's like one of the best ever to never be an All Star in the NBA. His the way that he was able to score with not being like a super athletic guy, just really good at knowing the game, knowing the angles. And he showed that in college uh, and took running Utes basically to their peak. So I'm taking Andre Miller. I like it. That's a good pick. Okay. Power forward.
0: Mm, I was debating here, but I'm going to go. Both of my picks were a little bit old school, but I'm going to go the older of the old schools. I'm going to go with Billy the Hill McGill. Um, Billy McGill was the creator of, Alleged creator of the hook shot. And I just think you got to go with a guy who literally invented a, a shooting form that has stayed in basketball. Um, you know, he was a 60s player. He just seemed to be way ahead of the other guys. When you watch his highlights, he just seems like his athleticism and his build was just ahead of his time. So I'm going to go with Billy the Hill McGill at power forward. That's going to be my pick.
1: Solid pick. Um, I'm going to go with the 4-2, and I'm taking Tom Chambers, the four-time NBA All-Star. Um, you know, he's not one of the most infamous Utes, but he did have his jersey retired last year, if I, my memory serves me correctly. And he's doing some great play-by-play commentary for the Suns these days. So I'm taking Tom Chambers. I like it. I like it. That is a good pick. I think they got his jersey retired during the Oregon
0: game. If I'm not mistaken, in the last it was, I think it was an Oregon game one in one of the last years.
1: Sounds good. <laughs> yeah.
0: Good guy. All right. Good pick. All right. I'm going to go with my center pick. I'm going to keep it in the 2010s era. Obviously, I'm going to go with our guy, Jakob Purdle. Um, again, I think he was the other piece that Larry needed to get to the tournament. And right from the get-go as a freshman, you could just see he had something special about him. I love his moves down in the post. I think he's silky smooth with it. Um, so I'm going to go with Yaka Pertle with the five.
1: I love it. It's a great pick. He was my second option behind Andrew Bogut. Um, all right, we're going to get to my three. I'm taking one of the best Utah shooters of all time, Sean Green. Give me Sean Green. Olympus Titan, Sean Green. Back to my alma mater. Um, but, yeah, I – I fell in love with his game. I've I've seen him play in person a couple of times, um, like just at the gym or something. He's an incredible shooter, knockdown, down, really fun to watch. Um, and I just feel like he'd fit really well with my team so far. I like it. That, that is a really good pick. I forgot about Sean. So way to
0: keep it in the, in the roots back at Olympus. I like it. So my shooting guard was actually, it's three deep. All right. I, I decided between three guys. Um, I got Brandon. I, I had Brandon Taylor, Cedric Bearfield, and Danny Vrains. Danny's got his number retired. um, and my dad has he talks about Danny Vrains, like, you know, girls talk about Barbie, you know, he, he just love <laughs> he loves Danny Vrains. but i'm i'm I might go with the hot take of those three. I think I'm gonna go with Cedric Bearfield. and I go with that only because some of the most clutch mo he he just came up clutch in a lot of crucial games during his time at the U. I think about the NIT quarterfinal at St. Mary's where he literally just could not miss from three. Um, and that game has like been burned in my mind. I think about the ASU buzzer beater, fadeaway three. like He's just been involved in so many crucial moments where Utah was kind of on the downslope when he was there, but he just came up with some great moments for the U. So
1: my final pick, I'm going to go with Cedric Bearfield. I love it. Um, I didn't even think of Bearfield. He's solid pick. A little unorthodox, probably not what most fans would choose. Um, that's, the,
0: that's the hot take. I'm going with the hot yeah, take. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's, that's, mine's hot, too. Don't worry. I'm at the shooting guard position. I'm taking none other than Marshall Henderson. And <laughs> all, all Miss fans know Marshall Henderson, walking bucket. Sure, he had some problems off the court with drugs and whatever. <laughs> And maybe he had problems on the court with Jim Boylan. Um, but Marshall Henderson, an eight-year-old me fell in love with him just hucking up threes from wherever. And if you've watched me play basketball, you know that I get a lot of my inspiration from him. Um, so, yeah, I'm taking Marshall Henderson of the two. I, I like that in your in your speech you went with drugs or whatever.
0: That, that was that – was- <laughs>
1: That was so good. So Still good. A weed. Nothing too bad. Yeah, it's, it's nothing too
0: big. All right. We'll go over our five once again, and then we'll let the fans decide whose is better. All right. So for me, I got Delon Wright, point guard, Cedric Bearfield, shooting guard, Keith Van Horn, small forward,
1: Billy the Hill McGill at the four, and I got Jakob Purtle at the five. All right. For me, I got Andre Miller at the one, Marshall Henderson at the two, Sean Green at the three. Tom Chambers at the four and Andrew Bowie at the five. Dang. I honestly would, I would pay a lot of money to see this five on five game. And <laughs> like, if I
0: could, if I could pick all of them out of their prime in Utah, I think that's going to be a good matchup. All right. So maybe, maybe this week we have the fans vote and then we can see who has the better starting five. I like it. We, let's, let's create a poll and then we can actually see, because I got, I got a few responses. They said that it was – I got like both – I got like neck and neck. I said someone was like, oh, Richie's was better. Yours was better. So I, I got to know. I feel like we got to put some stats on this next week. Got to know. Got to know. All right. Richie, any final thoughts for us before we end things today? Yeah, I, I don't think so. It's it's not a go Utes or go Jazz? You know,
1: go vote. That's, that's my final thought. <laughs>
0: hey, you're keeping it on par. You're keeping it on theme <laughs> with the entire world. I love it. There's right, no guys, NBA thank, tonight. Yeah, Come there on. is no NBA. There's no nothing tonight. There's no nothing. So yeah, go out and vote. It might be a little too late by now. Obviously, by the time you're listening to this, it's, it's past the time. But yeah, go vote for for future reference. <laughs> all right, thank you all. Thank you all for listening. That's it for this week's edition of The Thatcher Effect. We'll see you guys next week. If you liked what you heard, Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also hear more about our episodes and contribute to weekly content by following us on Instagram at Thatcher Effect Podcast and on Twitter at Richie Ossler3 and at Nate Thatcher15. We'd like to thank James Burchett for the intro music and the Basketball Podcast Network for hosting us. We'll see you guys next week.